positive heads out there thanks for tuning your beautiful brainwaves into another episode of the positive head podcast where we are firmly convinced that creating success and happiness is rooted in understanding the ultimate nature of reality and the fact that as human beings we are all immensely powerful fractals of the one and only source consciousness which creates and animates all things now of course understanding this powerful truth is one thing Applying this incredibly empowering wisdom to everyday life? Well, that's another. Which is exactly why we provide you with a fresh serving of soul food for thought five days a week to help constantly remind you of what matters most. You are it. And I'm your host, Brandon Beecham. I'm the reflection and extension of you who will be here each Wednesday interviewing a different consciousness changemaker and on the other four weekdays, leading the way to ensure that your perspective is consistently expanded, your vibration is constantly elevated, and your heart is overflowing and full. Also, before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a few sponsors that not only help to make it possible to produce this show five days a week, but that I'm also genuinely passionate about promoting especially since they're helping to fund all the cool projects we have in the works, such as the Positive Head app, the docuseries that I'm intending to begin shooting within the next year, and whatever else we dream up over here at Positive Headquarters to help spread consciousness across the planet. Now, if you're short on time or just super excited for today's topic and want to dive right in and skip these ads, feel free to fast forward about four minutes to get right into today's show. That being said, I strongly encourage you to listen because the reason I'm passionate about my sponsors is because they've made a huge impact in my own life, which is why I've aligned with these organizations. And I firmly believe they can do the same for you too. The first longtime stellar supporter of this show that I want to mention is Gaia. If you're not familiar, Gaia is the go-to source for streaming consciousness content online with over 8,000 video titles. And you can sign up for your first month for only 99 cents at Gaia.com forward slash positive head. That's spelled G-A-I-A dot com forward slash positive head. The second sponsor I'm extremely passionate about promoting is Purium. It's no mystery that bringing your mind, body and spirit into balance is necessary if a person truly intends to manifest the greatest and grandest version of themselves. And as of recording this, it's been about mm, four months since I started taking the Purium Core 4 Superfood products every day. And I can honestly and sincerely say my mind, body, and spirit have never felt more in alignment. If you've been looking for a way to easily get superfoods into your system every day with a simple plan that can help you reestablish a healthier foundation and relationship with food, I cannot recommend for you to start with the Purium 40-Day Ultimate Nutrition Plan, which includes a 10-day metabolic reset and cleanse enough. I spent personally months researching Purium before I jumped in, and now myself and over 150 other positive heads have started with the 40-Day Ultimate Nutrition Plan, and many of us have continued taking the Core 4 products on an ongoing basis daily ever since. 
I personally intend to take them for the rest of my life because they played a huge role transforming my vibrational state. If you decide to do it, it'll cost you just over $7 a day for the first 40 days and only about $5 a day after. But if you do it the way that I recommend you to do it, the smartest and most beneficial way, it won't cost you anything. I recommend you to just look at where you can reallocate money you are already spending on food each day. Essentially, you're just going to swap out the unhealthiest stuff you're in the habit of purchasing in exchange for Purium Superfoods. And this way, it costs you nothing to participate in the transformation and cleanse. And it creates exponential benefit because now you've replaced something that lowers your vibration with something that is going to make you feel super high in the healthiest kind of way. Just take a few minutes, see where you can cut out five to seven dollars a day and commit to doing it. It's that simple. Also for support, we'll be doing a big group transformation with other positive heads and soul family once each month for support. So I recommend, you know, going right now, ordering your 40 day ultimate nutrition plan bundle so that you have it when the next group transformation starts. Procrastination is not your friend. Order it now. You can thank me later because I can assure you, you will not be sorry you've decided to send a message to the universe that you're ready to step up your vibrational game and reclaim your health sovereignty. Just head over to ishoppurium.com. That's spelled I-S-H-O-P-P-U-R-I-U-M.com. Be sure to use the code POSITIVEHEAD, all one word, for either $50 off or a 25% discount, whichever is greater. And also, if you want to learn more details about the Purium products, why I'm so passionate about promoting them beforehand, you can go check out several videos I shot discussing these things in greater detail. You can also hear my interview with the very inspiring founder, David Sandoval, much, much more over at positivehead.com forward slash transformation. All right, all you positive heads, on this week's Pow Wow episode, I'm very excited to have the one and only Charles Eisenstein here with me on the show. Well, precluding any alternate timeline versions of him, of course, who I had the pleasure of spending some quality time uh, with down in Costa Rica last winter. And for those that don't know, Charles is an acclaimed thought leader and author of several fascinating books, such as The Ascent of Humanity, The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know is Possible, Sacred Economics, and most recently, Climate, A New Story. And today I'm super excited to dive into his brilliant brain and expansive heart to explore some of his perspectives on shifting the collective consciousness so that we might move into the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. Hey there, Charles. Welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, hey. Hey, Brandon. Good to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. It was really great to to get a a few minutes to sit down with you at uh, the Superhero Academy, you know, at Envision Festival last year. And, you know, we're both part of that uh, experience. I I had an amazing time. And um, yeah, I look forward. Are you you planning to go back to it this year? Do you know? Um, I I, I don't think I'm going to go to Envision. I think I have uh, to be somewhere else at that time. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was quite the experience. Definitely, um, you got to be comfortable with getting, uh, getting sweaty and dirty. But <laughs> definitely yeah. a really, really good time. Um, so, I like to start with the same predictable question and end with the same predictable question. And and here's my starting question: You're in an elevator. The woman next to you looks over, says, "What's your passion? You got ten floors to answer. What do you say?" 
Huh. Um, <laughs> I would probably say, um, what made you curious about that? Mm. <laughs> okay. All right. I've never had that as a response. Um, you look like an interesting guy, Charles. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I've, I used to have a ready answer to that, um, which mm-hmm. is my passion is to, is to contribute to the change in our, in our story, the story of the people, the story of the self, the story of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, because our whole society is built on a story and right. if we change that story, everything else changes. But, you know, um, I've become recently aware that the story is just one layer of a much larger being that right. is in the process of change. And, and that whenever I state, you know, what my passion is or what I serve, um, I'm, I, I feel like I'm never quite doing it justice because mm-hmm. what I serve and what we all serve is so huge uh, and mm-hmm. mysterious that that I don't think that we really even have the words and concepts to to put it into at this point in our evolution. Like any way yeah. that we describe it is going to be smaller than what it is. Right. So, yeah. Right. It's it's like words are really just taking a stab in the dark at putting, you know, somehow trying to define the indefinable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay, great. Wonderful. I love that. Well, we're going to, we're going to, nonetheless, we are going to uh, go down the path of using these feeble words to understand the ultimate nature of reality and, you know, how we can, you know, help shift the collective consciousness and, and change that story to create more of what we want to see in the world. And I, I think it would be really great to give the listeners and myself a, a little insight into your story uh, and what led you up to, you know, this, this point in time in your, in your travels, in your earthly journeys. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to just maybe hear a little background and yeah, what, what led you here? Well, I was born in the late sixties and mm-hmm. had a sense that there was something, uh, you could say something wrong in the world or that, that what I'd been offered as normal was actually not normal, that it's not supposed to be this way. Uh, I had that feeling in school, sitting at those desks, doing those work worksheets, you know, and it's a a beautiful day outside and the teacher's yelling at us to keep quiet and not move around. And we have to ask permission (laughs) to go to the bathroom and, and just endless uh, rows of long division problems and the state capitals and, um, Vasco de Gama and Ferdinand Magellan and all this mythology that we were learning. Right. And there was a deep part of me that thought, this can't be it. This can't be right. And that right. Gloried, gloried in rebellion and, and was happy if there was a, a smoke alarm or a snow day or something like that. This feeling of wanting to get out of this, this, right. this cage. So, I, uh, and, and so many children have that experience, which is not validated by the people that they are biologically programmed to trust the most, which would right. be the parents and the other uh, adults in their sphere. Like we are, we look to these people for, um, for, uh, to, to tell us what the world is supposed to be. 
what's right, what's right. wrong, what's good, what's bad. And all of these authority figures are saying, no, 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 this is right because uh, you have to get good grades and you have to, like, telling, uh, telling me that a good boy will participate in this, do well on right. this, uh, do as he's told, and so on. So this created um, a powerful dissonance within my being um, that stayed with me for a very long time and drove me to, to excavate the source of the wrongness that I'd felt. And why is it that, that everyone is telling me that, that the world and the direction of civilization are worthy of my full participation? Mm. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, I have to also say that I did have some allies that affirmed my felt sense of a incoherency in the world because I was turned on at a young age by my father and some other influences to uh, radical literature that said, yeah, um, something is really wrong here. And I know that this is called positive head and <laughs> here I am talking about a wrongness in the world. And like, maybe we're not supposed to dwell on that. Uh, or uh, <laughs> you know, acknowledging is, is is seeing something so that you can understand where you want to put your attention and energy on a you know in relation to it. I think makes uh, makes a lot of sense. It's like yeah. so, you know, you're 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 still you're still in positive head domain. <laughs> well, that, that eventually, what I, what I came to was that uh, the wrongness is itself part of a much larger process. Uh, uh, an evolutionary process that right. that doesn't discount it. Part of the process is to go through that stage where it feels like everything is completely wrong, that there's no hope to be plunged into total despair and helplessness. Uh, that's part of a larger rightness. And if you bypass yes. that with a spiritual ideology that says it's all good and everything is perfect and there's a perfect divine plan, um, even if that's metaphysically true, if it's used as a bypass from going through this necessary mm. stage, then yes. it's not true. <laughs> right. I love that. Excellent. Excellent. So, so now you ended up at Yale. So I'm assuming at some point you sort of uh, decided to conform. Well, to I, some degree. Was, yeah. You know, I, I kind of half-heartedly went through the motions uh, in high school and had enough like i was always uh interested in mathematics and um i don't know whatever whatever i ended up going to yale uh i then ended up you know participating enough in the system to get into yale and studied <laughs> mathematics. uh just a, just a, just i tried a little bit and i got into yale no biggie <laughs> uh, like so what goes on is in, in our culture and in the school system you are given psychological rewards for ex the expression of certain gifts. You're, right. uh, you're given grades, good grades and affirmation. And everybody tells you you're smart and everyone tells you you're good. And I was um, not entirely immune to right. those drives. And <laughs> right. I have, yeah. So I have a certain set of gifts that fit into that program. 
Yep. And if, if my gift set had been to, um, you know, making plants grow or um, uh, perceiving human energy fields or um, improvisational theater, then <laughs> no one would have told me that I was smart. Uh, they would right. have apologized me. They would have sent me right. to the psychiatrist if I was perceiving human energy fields. They would have sent me to the principal's office if I was improvisationally par- parodying the teacher. Uh, right. So, so I happened just by chance to have a certain set of gifts that funneled me into the elite preparation program uh, called Ivy League Education. Mm. Uh, so it's not that, like, I don't think it's that I, you know, tried harder than anybody right. else. It's just, you know, my destiny put me there. Sure. And um, so there I was, you know, thinking, okay, if I study mathematics and philosophy, then I'll find the answers to my questions. What is the nature of reality? What, why are things the way that they are? Like, I thought that, that this would be the gateway to finally resolving this, this uh, puzzlement that I'd carried. And I discovered the opposite, that, the, that these, especially in philosophy, that they were um, in like lost in their own conversation that drifted farther and farther from reality. Uh, and I was, and that's when I basically jumped ship. That's when I mm. jumped off the success trajectory and mm. I left the country, lived for the next nine years in Taiwan and just pretty much left the matrix Wow, that's quite the jump from Yale to to Taiwan. And what was your experience over there? What, what did you, what did you, what did you do? Well, I had uh, a series of experiences that confirmed my fragile intuition that mm. I had been given a much smaller picture of reality than what was actually real. I went there being very much a rational materialist, mm-hmm. um, believing that although philosophy and science and mathematics were not satisfying, that you know they pretty much had the basic understanding of reality, like like that we were on the right track toward uh, formulating a theory of everything. That we basically we meaning the dominant culture, the West. Um, mm-hmm. modern modern society that we basically knew how the world works, what was real and what wasn't real. And when I went to Taiwan, I experienced things firsthand that my education and the story of the world, uh, the story of separation, the story of, of um, that is embodied in physics, uh, said were impossible. Like I experienced them firsthand, things that I would have ridiculed a few years right. before. So I'm like, okay, I guess what I thought was real is a very <laughs> sector of reality. And right. what else have I been told is real that might not be real? Right. So I did, um, a, a phase of opening and inquiry uh, that that 
gave me the information that I needed to answer that question of what's the wrongness in the world. Like that had been impossible. It's like in the movie, The Matrix, like Neo cannot find the answer to his question, what is the Matrix from within the Matrix? Right. No matter where he goes, he's still in the Matrix. It needs something from the outside to give him a vantage point where he can understand the Matrix. And, and that is what I received in Taiwan through uh, traditional Chinese things and also through uh, psychedelics and also through, um, well, there are some other influences that, that I could, could go into. But that, the, the basic picture is that there was an intervention that punctured my reality bubble. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like psychedelics play that role. If I had a nickel for every time I heard from someone, I took mushrooms and my whole view of reality shifted. <laughs> you know, they, they just play, it seems, even an ever-increasing role in, you know, sort of that, you know, puncturing the bubble, as you put it uh, so eloquently. It's like, it's... Um, it's it's a fascinating thing to to see how and how many more people now seem to be having that that same type of an experience because even going back you know all those years ago when when you were having that experience it was probably a, a quite a bit less common than when you look around today, like we were at the superhero Academy and you're seeing people who's, who's are in, you know, totally different bubbles. So yeah. it's uh it's a, it's a fascinating uh, unveiling that sort of seems to be happening. And, and, you know, I haven't read any of your books. Um, the last few years have been the least amount of reading I've done, uh, you know, producing the show five days a week, plus other uh, entrepreneurial ventures. But I've heard from many close friends, you know, how impactful they've been. And so I'd love to get a little download on sort of, okay, you, your, your reality bubble was, was punctured. You went on to write, you know, several books that are, that are claimed. And, you know, one, I, you know, I saw something online saying the great place to start is the more beautiful worlds our heart know is possible. So maybe you could start a little bit, uh, you know, telling us what, what else in, in there. Yeah. Let me say one more thing first about, um, uh, sure. Psychedelics, yeah. Uh, which, which is, you know, you're right that, that they are becoming more normalized. Uh, and, and I think what they do, or one of the functions that they serve is that they, uh, erode our story from the inside. So yeah. today we live in a world that is built on the story of separation. And this is actually related to the more beautiful world of hearts possible, because in that book, I describe the transition from a story of separation to a story of interbeing. Mm. Um, so we live in among systems and institutions that are built on separation. For example, our political system, for example, our money system, a political system based on force, essentially. Um, right. That's what, right. It comes down to if you um, break the law or violate a contract or don't repay your loan, et cetera, et cetera, at some point, an armed agent of the state is going to come and take something from you or lock you up. Uh, and the money right. system also creating an experience of scarcity, competition, and uh, a society of endless growth and consumption those qualities are built into the money system. Right. And we can also go through the educational system, the medical system, et cetera, et cetera, the agricultural system, um, all about 
killing, dominating, controlling. Pesticides, um, irrigation, pumping the water, et cetera, et cetera. So we live in these systems that embody or reify the story of separation, but our consciousness is changing and we no longer identify or feel at home in these systems. And this is actually a lot of what the book is about, um, identifying this um, uh, alienation and Mm -hmm. why it's happening. It's simply because our story is dying and the story told us how to live life and what's real and who we are, how to be a man, how to be a woman, what's important in life and, uh, you know, how to do marriage, how to do work. I mean, it gave, um, gave us a set of meanings and values that just do not resonate anymore. And they don't even work when we try. So, right. Yeah. So, so that, even if you don't take psychedelics, I mean, that's, you know, it, it, in various ways, more and more people are being ejected from that old story and cast into a space between stories where mm. you don't know anymore. The answers to these basic life questions, you just don't know who you are, right. what you are, what's possible, how change happens, how to, how to be a man, how to be a woman. Like these, there's a, a vacuum that leaves mm. people vulnerable to fascistic stories, um, to, to basically anything that comes along and says, oh, here's who you are, here's how it is, here's what the world mm. is. We're, we're vulnerable to that at this time. And so I think that when we're talking about shifting consciousness, one mm-hmm. of the things that we can do is to offer a new story that affirms life and, mm. and invites people into who they really want to become or who they can become. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's something that we talk about a lot on the show is, you know, uh, this idea, you know, that we are all interconnected in, in, you know, the, the same, you know, consciousness that animates my form is the same consciousness that animates your form and separation is an illusion. And if you start playing with that idea, that story that, you know, everywhere I go, I'm there waiting for myself. Um, and, you know, living your life from that perspective. I always say people to people just explore that with an open mind and see for yourself. If you start, you know, uh, treating everyone as, as extensions of self, and, uh, you know, and then telling the story that you are, you are all connected and tell, you know, I believe we are all the creator and created rolled into one. And, uh, you know, source consciousness is everything. And, you know, you start living from that perspective and seeing it's, uh, it's such a empowering story to tell and the results that it gets are you know what's most important that's kind of my thing is like hey just this consider it with an open mind and see for yourself what telling that story does for you and uh, i think that's the the ultimate sort of litmus test with you know because there's so many stories we can be telling right like you said there's a vacuum here 
And so you start telling a story that is super empowering, life affirming, you know, this concept that you're an eternal being that's always been and always will be and change is guaranteed and, you know, we're floating in eternity. It's a very empowering one. It served me very, very well. And, you know, uh, so that's, that's sort of, that's my story and I'm sticking to it until, uh, until I change it or expand upon it or. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also the readiness to take on that story. Right. Because a story, as I said at the beginning, is part of uh, a much larger being. It's like the conceptual organ of that being. And so if you come to somebody with, with that story that we're, you know, like you said, we're eternal beings uh, and change is inevitable and it's okay, et cetera, et cetera. Like, um, or the story of interbeing that each of us is part of all of us, that every relationship that you have mirrors something in yourself, that anything that happens in the world happens to you, that any action has cosmic significance, like all of these uh, threads of the story that, that I'm speaking of. Um, if, if somebody is not in a place to, if, if the rest of their being is not aligned with that story, then it's just going to seem ridiculous. They're going right. to reject it. And right. rightly so, because the story of separation has its own um, uh, developmental logic. And yeah, I call it rel- relative truths. It's like, you know, from one perspective, you and I are one. From another perspective, you and I are separate, you know. And so I, I have to agree fully with you. It's like if someone is rejecting that and they their story is separation, and so it is, right? <laughs> and that is their experience. And and maybe they need to to fully live that and until yep. it ripens to the point where they're ready to molt and step into a new story. Absolutely. And so then the question becomes for me, I mean, given the fact that the story of separation is killing the planet, the, the, yeah. the question for me becomes, okay, how do we serve this, this maturation? How do we serve this metamorphosis and this evolution? And it's not just by saying, hey, you know, believe in this story, but it's also creating the data points that are part of the transformed state of being that allows somebody to even accept a new story. Right. And, and, and so some of these data points, so for example, the old story has a story of human nature that says everybody's in it for themselves. Everybody's seeking to maximize self-interest. Uh, all life is like that, seeking to um, survive and reproduce, to maximize yep. reproductive self-interest. And, and we're all separate selves and everybody's trying to get the best deal and we're all in it for ourselves and more for me is less for you. Like, like that is a belief system, but it's also a lived experience, especially in our current economic system. So anything that you do to provide a anomalous data point, a contradictory data point that doesn't fit into that story, that will be an invitation to somebody to to step out of that story. So in other words, any act of generosity, any act of kindness, forgiveness, compassion, those are data points that say, maybe the world isn't the way you thought. Maybe people, maybe we're all in this together. Maybe our basic nature is to give, to love, Mm. um, to, to support each other. Like those 
those data points, I think, speak a lot louder than words. And mm. they prepare the ground for a shift in, in our story. Mm. I love that. Yeah. It, it, you know, that makes me think of something that I've really focused on uh, in recent, you know, the recent year or so, especially where when someone is doing something to me that is, uh, could be perceived or would maybe typically be perceived as, you know, not cool. I, I, you know, this is not my friend. Their, their behavior uh, definitely gives me the right to behave in response in a way that is creates this sort of um, negative feedback loop and we're, we're not friends, we're not, you know, whatever. I, I've, I've really found a lot of joy in going above and beyond when like just being the bigger person or trying to be not, maybe not the bigger person, maybe that's the wrong word, my best self, you know, regardless of how they're behaving, understanding, you know, hey, someone's behavior is, first off, it's never personal. They're doing this because of where they're at in their own journey and story and the story they're telling themselves and how can how can I use this as an opportunity to show up and be um, you know be who I choose to be regardless of it's sort of a proactive approach as opposed to reactive yeah yeah that's, and, uh, and, and, and it's been powerful for me mm-hmm. right and what you're doing is yourself stepping into uh, a different story when so you take somebody's attack and instead of framing it as they're attacking me there's something wrong with them you ask where is this attack coming from what is it like to be that person and how Mm -hmm. can i respond to these base conditions that are generating the attack like what hurts in that person what do they need and by looking for that then all kinds of options become available that are not available in the story of this bad person is attacking me. Right. Right. And especially when you start considering that this person is an extension of me, as we talked about a little bit ago, and this is a reflection in some way that is actually happening for me and not to me. Uh, and also through me, you know, that story really serves, you know, uh, serves this step well to, to mm-hmm. be able to sort of muster the courage and the wherewithal to, to you know, uh, deal with someone who is, you know, attacking or rejecting you, which, you know, that's a big one for a lot of people feeling rejection. And, okay, how do I, how do I bring, you know, love and acceptance to that and not take it personally? Yes. All right. Well, now seems like a good moment to take a quick minute to tell those of you who aren't familiar a bit about our sponsor, Gaia. I've been a big fan of Gaia for many years now, which is why they're the only content provider I've ever reached out to in regards to potentially supporting this podcast. So needless to say, I'm very excited they're now supporting the show. Gaia truly is my personal go-to source for streaming consciousness content on the web. They have an incredible 7,000 plus exclusive videos covering 5,000 years of wisdom. Just to give you an example, on the show Missing Links, the incredible researcher Greg Braden explores all the biggest questions concerning who we are, where we come from, where we're going, by connecting the missing links between science and spirituality to complete our understanding of humanity's history and to better understand the interconnectedness of all things. Awesome, right? And that's just one example. 
As you guys constantly hear me say, it's a daily conscious effort to maintain an elevated vibration. And if you're looking to go deep down the rabbit hole to do so, then Gaia is the best place I know of to do it, period. And you can sign up for your first month for only 99 cents at Gaia.com forward slash positive head. That's spelled G-A-I-A dot com forward slash positive head. Check it out. So, you know, speaking of, you know, making the world a more beautiful place and, you know, this is kind of leads to your your latest book. Um and, you know, a big part of that is understanding the, the environment and, and the climate. And I'm really cur- personally curious. Like I said, I haven't read the book, but um, and I, I don't claim to be someone who's done the research, uh, you know, uh, hardcore research on on climate change, to be quite honest. You know, I've seen a lot of and heard you know a lot of the, the normal things that we all have. But, you know, I think of a good friend that I grew up with who doesn't believe climate change is real. And, you know, I, and you hear that that sort of argument still being made out there and or, or that it's just this natural process. It has nothing to do with, you know, humanity. Me looking at everything from sort of this sort of um, uh, spiritual perspective, I, I guess you could say, where. I can certainly see the the healing that needs to happen on our planet, and it makes total sense that that would be reflected in our environment in a way that is, you know, we're impacting it negatively, so to speak, with that energy. So I'd love to get the download, or at least a glimpse of the download that you you share in that book, and, and what your perspective is on the the new climate story. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, one way I look at it is that. Humanity is being given um, lessons almost in the curriculum of interbeing, which says that in part, it says that what we do to the other, we are actually doing to ourselves. Mm. The first lesson in that curriculum was nuclear weapons, uh, the, the threat of nuclear holocaust, which for the first time in history made total war no longer an option. Like it became impossible to completely defeat your enemy through overwhelming force. Mm. War between the great powers has been essentially impossible since 1950. That is mm. a huge change where it necessitates a huge change in our thinking. I'm not sure if we've actually fully digested that, that lesson, mm. but, mm. but, you know, we're, we're, we're so um, geared or programmed to a solution mentality that involves find something to kill, find something to defeat, find the bad guy, and defeat the bad guy with force. Right. That's what war is. Um, and we can never, ever, we meaning like the United States, we will never, ever defeat by force China or Russia or any country with nuclear weapons. Like that's no longer on the table. Um, and it's not just in war, it's in, in everything, in medicine. Like, what's the pathogen? Kill it. In agriculture, what's the, what's the pest? Kill it. Um, foreign policy, crime, criminal justice. The problem is crime, find the criminal, lock up the criminal, deter the criminal. In none of these areas are we asking, what is the underlying cause? Like, why are people committing crimes? Why are people immigrating? Why... Are there weeds growing in this field? Could it be a deficiency in the soil? Could it be um, a, 
uh, improper relationship between ourselves and the rest of the life there. Like, what is this telling us? How is this part of ourselves? What is this showing about who we are and how we are relating to the other? That, that's not part of the find the enemy approach. So climate change, I think, is also a message to us that what we do to the earth, we are doing in some way to ourselves. We cannot escape the consequences of our actions. Right. Now, now, I do have some sympathy with the climate skeptics because I think that the, uh, especially the predictive science is not as sound as um, many people think. And I, th- and, and I see that the, the, the real problem is ecosystem destruction that degrades the ability of the living being that we call Earth to maintain conditions for life. Yeah, so I see uh, Earth, and, I f- and this is what, uh, really what the book is about, seeing Earth as alive, seeing the mm. rainforests and the wetlands and the whales and the soil and so on as organs of a living being, organs and tissues, understanding mm. that if we continue to degrade these organs, Earth will no longer be able to maintain homeostasis, no longer will be able to maintain the conditions for life, even if we cut carbon emissions to zero. If we destroy the rainforest and the wetlands and life on Earth, then the planet will continue to die. And whether or not you believe in global warming, like I think that the focus on is there global warming or isn't there and so on, that is way too narrow a conversation. Because Mm. whether or not you believe that that's happening, it is undeniable that um, the honeybees are dying everywhere. It is undeniable that that there are maybe, I don't know, half the fish or less than there were when I was a kid, that there are 5 or 10% of the whales that there were a few hundred years ago, that insect biomass has declined by 75% over 30 years, and so on wow. and so on and so on. Life is dying. And to divert the conversation onto... Are temperatures higher now than they were during the medieval warm period? <laughs> right. Like, that's, right. that's not the right conversation. I do think that greenhouse gases um, are dangerous because we have a weakened system already and we're adding another stressor. And the result could very well be runaway global warming, but it could also be uh, intensifying fluctuations as the system spins out of control. Um, and, and so one of the warnings in the book is let's not reduce the ecological conversation to a matter of global warming. Right. It, let's make it about serving life on Earth. So by uh, redirecting the conversation to life, to ecosystems, to the organs and tissues of this planet, we empower and validate um, healing actions that are invisible or less visible from a carbon-centric perspective. So if you mm. are, say, um, uh, dedicated to saving the sea turtles or saving the whales, uh, it's, it's hard to put a carbon number on the value of sea turtles. 
But when you understand that they are part of a, a web of life that is weakened right. when any member of it goes extinct, that revalidates that kind of work. Or what if you are, right. working with uh, prisoners on death row or the homeless or something like that, where where it seems from like a save the world from from greenhouse gases right now perspective, it seems like that's kind of a waste of time. If sea levels rise fifty feet, then we're not going to have to worry about homelessness or or prisons anymore. Like everything will be gone, right? So yeah. So this contradicts my heart's knowledge that each kind of healing contributes to all the other kinds of healing that a society that exploits its most vulnerable members will also be a society that exploits the most vulnerable beings on earth and the most vulnerable places that that the geological climate the earth climate is intimately connected to the social climate and the psychic climate in the uh, global warming narrative, very often, if you ask, why should we save the rainforest? Or why should we save the whales? Or why should we do this? Why should we do that? Why should we cut? Why should we stop drilling? Why should we not build a pipeline? The answer is because it will uh, generate X megatons of carbon dioxide emissions. So the value of the rainforest gets reduced to how much carbon it will sequester. And mm. from that accounting mindset, why not cut it down and replace it and, and offset the lost carbon with a field of solar panels instead, or cut down the forest here and plant another one there? The reduction of something to its instrumental utility, to its to its quantitative value is part of the problem. That's the mm. mindset that says we, that earth exists for our benefit. And, right. and to say that we're just not being clever enough in exploiting earth for our benefit and we need to <laughs> do it in a carbon neutral way instead, that's not a big enough revolution. I think right. where, where, where climate change is pushing us is to rejoining the community of life on earth and, and right. being in community and saying, we want to save the rainforest because we love the rainforest, not because of the mm. X megatons of carbon that it's going to sequester. We want to save the whales right. because we love the whales. These are magnificent beings, not because right. they, I mean, who knows how much carbon, I mean, you have to look pretty carefully to see how whales contribute to a healthy atmosphere. They do. Um, yeah, it's, you know, they, for example, bring up nutrients from the deep ocean and um, allow life to thrive that ultimately uh, feeds um, small organisms that that excrete calcium carbonate and so on and so forth. Like you could, if you really tried hard, make a case that whales are essential to healthy atmosphere. But is that really why we should save the whales? Right. Like, why should I not just go out there and commit armed robbery and take all the money for myself? Is it and 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 kill people? Is it because well that would be bad for me, or is it because people are inherently sacred and worthy of life? So right. that 
That is the transition that we're facing here, to embrace the rest of the world as sacred and worthy of life and to ask, how can we participate in the flourishing of life? How can we serve the, the health, the evolution, and the dream of this planet? Why are we mm. here? It's really asking, why are we here? And that question in the old story was essentially to become the lords and masters of nature, to increase right. our dominance until we could um, dictate down to the nano level the behavior of all matter in the universe. Like that kind of right. was the story. And that is giving way to a story of co-creation, participation, um, community with all of life. Mm. Yeah, that is so powerfully stated. And the way you, you explain it and the perspective is is just awesome. I, you know, and it really supports the story. For me, what comes up when you're talking about all of that is, you know, it really supports the story that, you know, I've been telling that a lot of us have been telling that, you know, the, the separation is an illusion and it's, it's actual, you know, not just physically is there consequences. It's like if we are indeed, you know, all the same consciousness uh, animating different forms, it's what I'm doing to these other beings, these living beings, trees and whales and, you know, um, all of the all of the life on on earth i'm i'm doing to an extension of self and it, it and therefore the energetic repercussions must be felt because you're always doing it to yourself right and and the repercussions i, I like that you say the energetic repercussions because it may not be that the consequence of destroying other life on earth will be that we that we don't survive the consequence could be that we do survive on our dead and ruined planet. That would right. even be worse, you know, where we have right. bubble, bubble cities and and uh, VR simulations of all the lost nature and digital adventures instead of real adventures and and carbon sucking machines to maintain the atmosphere and and hydroponics factories to grow food and no more nature. Like yeah. that, that is a future that we are moving towards step by step. And mm. every measurable indicator of human well-being could very well rise. We could have that alongside rising GDP, uh, rising life expectancy, rising educational levels, and so on. But I think we're already seeing, and, and we have already seen that on Earth, but what we have not measured or that we don't admit into these statistics is a growing alienation and despair that does come up as you know depression statistics and suicide statistics uh but but basically when we are cut off from the rest of life and when we extinguish the rest of life something in ourselves dies also right we might survive as separate selves but you know like i go out i live right now temporarily right near the ocean and when i go out there and i i look at the seagulls and um and the the you know the other birds the cormorants and it's just when i really take the time to to kind of sink into their reality mm -hmm. there's that seagull standing on that rock for like an hour 
watching the waves, what kind of meditative trance is it in? It's right. Struggling to survive there. Like something is going on. Like what is that? And then, and then the, the, they're aware of me and I'm aware of them. And, and my, I, 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 it's like I recover a lost part of my being that is unavailable mm. to me when I'm indoors and on screens. Right. And I think, like, just if I lost those seagulls, if we lost, as we are doing right now and continuing to do, but if we continue to lose all of our companions here, and we don't even know what we've lost, all we know is that we feel bereft, that we feel alien, that we feel alone. Um, that that scares me more than, in a way, it scares me more than human extinction. Mm. And, and where it takes wow. me is, yeah, like I will do anything it takes to to serve a world in which there are still seagulls and seals mm-hmm. and whales, and and where life thrives, and I'm part of it. That's that's why I'm here. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah, I mean that there is not a nobler cause or more important and pressing uh, time-sensitive issue. I mean, in speaking to that, what is your, you know, what is your sort of gauge? And I know there's, you don't have a crystal ball, but how much time do you think we have to really like write the ship? And, and what do you, what do you obviously writing a book and getting this information out there is the most important thing, you know, is important as anything that we can do, but what are some other solutions or ideas that you have, um, to, to help, you know, turn the ship around? That's interesting. Um, I'll, I'll preface my answer to say that I think that our society is, stuck not only in the wrong answers, but also in the wrong questions. The questions that we ask perpetuate the world that we live in, and we need to begin asking new questions. So, mm. like, not to, not to, like, pick on your question, but... but the no, question please, much, if, if it yeah. gets us into a better place, you can, you can tear it apart. <laughs> <laughs> well, well like, so, like, the question of how much time do we have, mm-hmm. um, that would be like asking an alcohol... Like, like an a- alcoholic saying, okay, so you've convinced me that my drinking habit is going to destroy my family and, and <laughs> right. cause all this harm. And, <laughs> but so how much time do I have to, to stop drinking? <laughs> right. It's a silly and, question. And the answer is um, none. Yeah, uh, right. The answer is it's already too late to reverse, to, to stop the damage that's already been done. Like nothing that we're going to do right now is going to bring back the, um, Tasmanian wolf uh, mm. or uh, the woolly mammoth, you know, or the dodo or um, any of the other animals that are going extinct and the places that have been ruined. And the ruin is happening right now and we can stop it now. And if we wait five years, if we say, well, we have five years to stop it, then that'll be five years more of ruin. So really, it is a question of, of choosing what we serve. And that choice is available to us 
all the time, every moment, and it's available right now. It's not like, okay, we have to get ready to make that choice and how many years we have to get ready. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always available. Do we serve life or do we serve something else? Right. And, you know, I, I don't want to like, you know, that can seem, that can be a, a recipe for failure to say, well, you've just got to choose life because it ignores the conditions of that choice. And I think that's important. What are the conditions of our choice collectively to more and more and more death? And what are the conditions of our choices individually that do not serve life as well? To to make it just a matter of the will of a disembedded chooser, a separate self, that is also part of the story of separation. So what I'd like Mm. to do is, is for one thing, to ask, why are we, yeah, why are we choosing death? What is the trauma underneath that? Why are we unable to, to feel what nature is feeling? How has that disconnection happened? And I, in the book, I talk about the, there's the ideology of disconnection that says earth is just a bunch of stuff. And then there's also the, um, the wounding, the trauma that blocks our capacity to feel. And the healing needs to happen on both levels. Mm. So if you, and so most people, myself included, like, yeah, there is that desire to serve life, that willingness. And there is a lot in the way of that, that exists also in my being, that is crying for healing. And I don't even know how to heal it. I am Mm. in need of healing. So what can I do right now? Like, what can you do right now in this moment? At least you can give attention to your willingness to serve life. To acknowledge mm. that part of yourself that is, is, is true. From that attention to the willingness, changes begin to happen. It is a call for, for healing to happen. Yeah, and you can also put attention on the hurting, on the wounds, um, on the discomfort. And like, yeah, that's real too. At least then you have a survey, a full complement of data of who I am. Here I am. Here's what I need. Here's my, my willingness. Here's my readiness. Help. That, that is, a, is a powerful stance. It's not up to us, but it is, in a way, it's a, it's a prayer. It's a declaration of willingness and an openness to receive the help that we need in order to be effective servants to a more beautiful world. Mm. You know, last night I went, uh, I actually went to, to dinner with um, a friend and listener, and she is a very... Uh, much on a path of, you know, helping to create sustainability on our planet. And it was the first time I was actually at a very, you know, a vegan restaurant, Cafe Gratitude. Um, and 
it's you know pretty conscious all the way around you know you order the food with i don't know if you've ever been to a cafe gratitude but you order the food is you know um whatever it's called it's like abundant the the meal could be called abundance and you, you say i am abundance if you want to order it and i am whatever and so you know very conscious place and it was the first time she looked you know at the end there were some leftovers and she's like okay you know i i, I might take this to go but um i don't have my to go con, you know to to go container that i normally i didn't drive you know uh, she didn't drive i did and so she actually like says can i see your to-go box and i'm like wow that is a whole new level i haven't seen anyone do that and then she explained well you know a lot of these cardboard you know uh boxes that are to go they'll even be lined with plastic and i i made the decision that i am just i've just as of a few weeks ago i'm just not going to support anything that is not sustainable at all and i was like wow you know that's powerful you know how how's that working out at the grocery store or you know and she went on to explain well you know um, i go to the farmer's market most of the time now and you know i do get bulk foods at the grocery store and things like that and bring my own bag so you know to me that that that's sort of a a little big thing because it really does it dis, disrupt your normal flow and your convenience factor. But as she pointed out to me, you know, she said, you know, it, solutions arise because I've made the energetic choice to to do this, and uh, and as a result, I'm starting to you know find ways around workarounds, right? And I think that's that was that was very powerful for me to hear her talk about you know how and inspiring that she's she's you know, doing that and living that, that reality. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that small choices like that, even if there's part of the rational mind that says it's just a drop in the bucket and what does it matter compared to all the else that's going on? I do yep. think that they are also a kind of a prayer that says, I'm serious yep. about what I serve and here's what I'm willing to sacrifice. And here's the actual 3d change that i'm willing willing to make that it it kind of um shows whatever's listening to our prayers that yep you mean what you say and also i think that you know this this orientation toward service of life um there's no formula for what is or is not in service like there might be situations where um like say you know um say you decide that you're not going to participate in the agricultural industrial complex and you um run into somebody and they offer you offer you a cookie or something like that and the situation is such that that by accepting that cookie you will spread love and goodwill will and if you reject it they're gonna feel um judged and and like you can think of a situation where you might want to take that cookie or mm -hmm. like more more personally for me like i do a lot of flying on airplanes which mm -hmm. is really damaging to the environment and and how do i make that decision whether to fly or not Am I going to try to calculate the net benefit versus the Correct. net cost and quantify everything? And well, you know, I'm going to be burning this much fuel and creating this much pollution. And so that's in the minus column, but in the plus column, 
the people I talk to, maybe 10% of them will adopt this change in their life. And let me add all that up, you know, like that's, a, <laughs> that's an idiotic way to make decisions. Mm-hmm. And that whole way of decision-making originates in um, economic thinking, in, in right. accounting and costs and benefits. That's how you right. make an economic decision. You add it all up. And I think that that is also part of the old story that we need to, or that it is time to transcend, and that there is a guidance organ that we have called the heart that tells us what is or is not in service to life. And sometimes what the heart says goes against the mind's understanding of how the world works. It doesn't ignore the mind. Like when I learn about, you know, say uh, the dolphin death that result when tuna is processed or whatever, like that information feeds into my heart and I might find my heart giving a different signal than it had before. So it's not about ignoring rational information, but it is about trusting the integrated knowledge of the heart rather than the analytic knowledge of the mind. Mm, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. You know, you you referenced and said your heart's knowledge uh, earlier, and uh, that jumped out at me because I think that is another thing that we are becoming more aware of. You know, this idea that hold on, the brain isn't the only place that wisdom springs from, right? Uh, and so it's it's. I think that's a big part of the healing journey for us all is moving out of the head so much and into the heart um, is a, is a huge factor. I would, I would say. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, that we should discard the head. It's just that yep. Yep. that it has its function and the heart has its function and the gut has its function. And um, maybe in the society that we grew up in, the head function has kind of overtaken everything else. Yeah. 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 Part of that programming of having you sit in the in the classroom on the beautiful day and staring out the window doing math problems uh, certainly has contributed to that, right? You know, let's see. Where 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 to go from here? There's so many things that I'd love. To, I wish I had about 5 hours with you, but uh <laughs> we're getting down to it. So, what are some of the things that I would like to explore at this point? Um you know, one thing that comes up for me, and and I'm curious what this gets a little more down the the woo woo rabbit hole, but for me, something that it's a story, my truth, um, that really helps to bring relief is this idea that okay, there is no out there out there. It's all I'm I'm sort of a a, a, a fractal of source consciousness, and I'm in my own private universe to some degree. Everything is a reflection uh, in some way, shape, or form of of me that I bump up against. In this case, you're a reflection of the consciousness of my consciousness that is playing the role of Charles Eisenstein and has this sort of view on the world and wisdom. And, and so, 
for me, it brings a lot of comfort, this idea that, you know, I'm in my own private universe and, you know, believing, you know, and intuitively believing that there is all these potential potentialities, these different timelines where, um, you know, we are in bubbles and experiencing everything through VR. But there's also versions of reality where the avatar that is Brandon Beecham goes or my or my descendants can go into, you know, where we heal the planet and and we're all sort of ships passing in the night. You may, you know, let's say I, I bump up against someone today who's like, oh, we're all we're all doomed. It's over. It's we already lost that being goes into a timeline where that's what their experience is. Whereas if I'm very optimistic and, you know, making these energetic choices within myself to, you know, shift and, and contribute to the collective consciousness, uh, that, that prayer, as you put it, it you know, actually has sort of, sort of, a, an effect uh, on the collective uh, consciousness, then, you know, perhaps I step into the version of reality where, uh, we we do sort of pull it out and create I- at least the best possible scenario from this moment forward. Obviously, we can't undo undo the past. So I'm curious, you know, what your thought is on that view of uh, reality and the way uh, things unfold. Yes, I look at it in a very similar way that there are multiple timelines, each one of which lead to a different future, and they coexist right now. Mm-hmm kind of like in a quantum superposition of states. So, mm-hmm. and not just future timelines, but, but present realities too, and past realities. Right. So, how, so whichever one we align ourselves to, we strengthen that timeline and that pathway from now to that future. We have to recognize that would that the entire menu of possible futures that is presented to us, each of those menu items corresponds to something within ourselves that is still alive and that is real. So the, um, whatever the Brownfields AI catastrophe concrete world future, um, that co-resonates with a state of being that is still alive in me, that I still occupy sometimes. And when I make choices from that place, I strengthen the field from which mm-hmm. that future arises. I strengthen the timeline that that future is part of. And when I act from that, that part of myself that is aligned with hippie planet, or one of the other beautiful Mm. futures, then Mm -hmm. I'm stepping into that timeline. And the the choices that I make strengthen that timeline and contribute to that future. So, you know, again, I come back to, it's not just which do I choose, but it's also what, again, what are the conditions of my choice? What when I am aligning with the negative timeline, what is hurting inside of me? Why am I doing that? Because I wouldn't willingly consciously choose to create hell on earth. So, so just as like you wouldn't willingly consciously choose to create hell in your intimate relationships, you know, or, or the people do it all the time or hell right. in their lives. So why it's again, like an addiction. 
why why are you drinking? Why are you taking drugs? Why are you addicted to porn? Why are you addicted to shopping or whatever it happens to be? Like you know that that's hurting you, so why are you doing it? And the prescription that you're just going to have to try harder and exercise more willpower to stop doing that that is is bad advice. It mm. willpower does not work unless a deeper shift has happened or is happening. And then right. willpower can be useful to, to bring, to bring yourself along with this shift to, to cut out a habit that is no longer aligned. Like I'm not saying there's no use for it, but, but the inquiry has to be a lot deeper than just the lordly chooser, the right. lordly separate will choosing what future he's going to live in. It is it is a healing path to even be able to choose willpower. You can choose it temporarily, but the, but the unacknowledged unhealed wounds are going to erupt in some form and you'll right. binge on negativity for a while. And it's like, you know, I thought I got it. And then now why am I thinking all these negative thoughts and, and saying mean things and, and, acting the victim and so on and so forth. I thought I was over that. I thought I got it and I'm doing it again. It's because there's something that, that has not fully resolved or, or matured or been healed and that mm. needs attention. So yeah, so yeah that, that's just like maybe one uh, subtlety I would add to, to what you were saying. Yeah. And yeah, beautifully stated. And, you know, for me, I believe part of that, healing involves and and you touched on it a moment ago you know actually changing you know changing and choosing the past or changing the story of the past and for me i feel like once you can rewrite the story of the past like okay i was a victim when i was you know 10 years old and this awful thing happened to me to sort of a, a maybe an expanded view of the story that you know your your you know challenges are blessings you, you know your mess is ultimately going to become your message that kind of idea um i think it then takes this past story and and takes it from one that's disempowering to a state that is empowering yeah yeah i could yeah so, you know, one other thing that I'd like to just touch on as we as we start to wind down here is, you know, one of your uh, other books, uh, Sacred Economics, you, you know, talk about, of course, uh, another big piece of the puzzle, right, as we sort of rewrite the story of uh, who we are and where we're going, it, you know, changing this economic system. And I know that's sort of a deep hole and, you know, I don't expect a super deep dive, but I am curious at a high level what you'd want to share uh, with the audience about that and i'm also curious what your thoughts are on you know when you and i were sitting at uh at uh, envision you know early in early 2018 cryptocurrency was booming you know there was a lot of talks about cryptocurrency and how it's here it's changing the world and you know then there's been this sort of um dip in the in the roller coaster since and so i just uh, i'd be curious you know what your your thoughts are on on both of those things yeah um so that is a rather large rabbit hole um yeah but first yeah i'll say um about sacred economics yeah that book was um kind of had had two two main themes one was the uh change in the the, the 
the economic system, like there was the systems level, um, how the system works and how it could change, uh, what money could be, uh, why money has the effects that it does in our world today. Why is it an agent of destruction when it's just a story? It's just a system of agreements that human beings have made. What is it about those agreements that make it so often into a force for harm? And what mm. new agreements could we develop that embody a new story? So that's one of the themes. And then there's also the personal level, our psychological and spiritual buy-in to these stories and how that can change, how money inhabits our, our ways of thinking and seeing the world. And, um, you know, to some extent, we can liberate ourselves from the pernicious programs that money works in our psyche. Um, I'm actually making an online course. By the time this comes out, it might be done. I'm not quite sure exactly, but on uh, called Living in the Gift, which is about mm. shifting into, not about living moneyless, but it's about um, seeing the world through eyes of gift and deprogramming mm. from the, the nearly invisible programs of of money of scarcity um of ingratitude that are normal in our society uh and like basically the most common question i get how do i do what i love and still make a living that is the question that's the question and there's no trivial answer to that it's right. not about abundance affirmations um, it's uh, like I was saying before, you know, with these multiple levels of story and the state of being under the story, this is, this is a profound question. So, yeah. Um, anyway, that's like maybe just a basic overview of sacred economics. Okay. Um, and it was, a, yeah, like it would take me a long time to really go into it. And as for crypto. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was never an enthusiast. I never um invested in it um i don't actually do investing that's a whole other story uh, part of the mm. gift is non-accumulation in gift cultures mm. people do not hoard uh, currency right you're letting it flow through <laughs> that's right yeah yeah is, is is a matter of generosity not control um, i love that anyway so as far as crypto goes um I think that there is something there uh, that it that um, a public ledger is there's something really appealing uh, about it, um, but it's not an escape from messy questions of of politics and governance and um, agreement among human beings. You can't just export those functions onto an impersonal algorithm and think that the problem is going to be solved. So I have like, I mean, I could talk for like hours or maybe an mm. hour on that topic. Um, but yeah, it's not, it, I don't think that it's for, for money to really be a transformative force in our society. It has to embody the story of interbeing. It has mm. to, it has to encourage and normalize and condition generosity, non-accumulation, 
non-hoarding, um, and the uh, demonetization of society and the growth of the qualitative realm, the recovery of the qualitative realm. Most money is about quantifying. So I think that mm. in a healed society, money will have a much smaller role than it has today. Yeah. So yeah, there's, um, and there are some people in the crypto world who I'm having this kind of conversation with, but it's very, mm -hmm. very marginal. Mostly what it is, right. is a speculative instrument. Right, right. Very, very interesting perspective. And that, that's like definitely going into my quote bucket. You know, uh, wealth is a matter of generosity, not control. It's um, that's powerful, powerful truth. So one of the last things I'd like to ask you, and, you know, I normally kind of give people a heads up. So if you don't have something at the ready, you, I'll let you off the hook. But, you know, I love hearing stories uh, of synchronicity or serendipity or a positive paranormal story, anything that's kind of feel good and a little like, whoa, that's strange in the best kind of way. Um, do you have anything that comes to mind? Uh, I know you, you, you referenced at the top you know, when you went to Taiwan. Uh, and so I got the idea that might, there might be some of those stories wrapped up there. Um, anything good to share? Yeah, I've had a, um, a number of, of stories like that. And like you, I, I kind of collect them too, because mm -hmm. they uh, affirm or confirm mm -hmm. my feeling that reality is a lot more than I was told. Um, yeah. I remember one, one time I, uh, this is many years ago, 15 years ago or something. Uh, I was, um, I had, I was in this love affair and then I, um, got cold feet mm. and boy, was she mad. She <laughs> called me up and just let me have it, you know, and, and not only did I, you know, betray her heart, but I've not stood up to the plate of, and, and, you know, we are divine partners and soulmates, and I just don't have the courage to, to meet that possibility, et cetera, et cetera. And I was just like defenseless, you know, and I, <laughs> I, I hung up, we hung up the phone and this was at my office. I had like a kind of temporary office at, at Penn State University. And I was, um, no one knew the number at that office. Like, right. like she was the only one who ever called me there. And right. I was, and so I, I was sitting in that chair, so like devastated. I was paralyzed. Like I could not move. I just thought I was the scum of the earth. Like she made an airtight case that I was the scum of the earth, and I had no defense. <laughs> and I just sat there for like probably an hour or two, like just glued to that chair, miserable, paralyzed. And then all of a sudden, the phone rings. And I pick it up and a woman's voice that I've never heard before or since doesn't even say hello. I say hello. And she says, you're right, you know. And I mm. said, I am. And she said, yeah. I said, right about what? But she's already hung up. Wow. So how did that like and that was exactly what i needed to hear and my rational mind has no explanation for it like mm. maybe like 
she told one of her friends about our conversation and gave her friend my office number and like what that doesn't make sense like that yeah, she probably she wouldn't probably be saying you're right, you're right. Yeah, no, i wouldn't like, think no like that's ridiculous i mean how would her friend have my number like that wasn't right. listed anywhere or maybe it was like a wrong number someone called up and thought she was talking to somebody else and then realized like that seems more plausible but like for that to have happened at that moment when I was yeah. completely helpless, like in a death spiral. You know? Wow. Yeah. And it just like, it, it, and it pulled you out of, yeah, it pulled you out of that. What a, what yeah. a powerful story. It, you know, it, that reminds me of a story. I just pulled it up to see what number going way back to episode 176 with uh, Carlos Cucabura, where he had this powerful uh evening watching uh, what's the name of the movie um it's an, if you guys want to go back to episode 176 you can hear the story it's a great one and he anyways watching this movie and it's all about losing it's uh you know the, the 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 moral of the story is this this character losing his ego and he's in contact with his ego self and he's a chess master and he's playing lots of chess throughout the the book and it's like you know all at the end he sort of overcomes his ego if I recall from the story and so Carlos is watching this movie it's having this profound effect on him you know getting the message from this movie about um, and then uh, same sort of thing he had a landline that no one had the number to nothing like that he um, all of a sudden his phone rings when he's in this elevated state of understanding himself better and his ego self better and the phone rings he goes and answers it and he's like and, and it's some stranger at like midnight is this the chess match and then hangs up. <laughs> Whoa. 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 Then he goes yeah. into an elevated state of like, you know, this blissed out kind of state for days where all the synchronicities happening and people on the street, what they're talking about, speaking to what's in his head. And, you know, um, next thing you know, if he works at a movie theater, a few days later, the lead actor from that movie came into the theater. Like, mm-hmm. and he got to tell the story to, and it's just like, it's a, it was a wild one. Yeah. So that's, that's what it makes me think of. Like yeah. who, what, was that you know and it's so magical and beautiful and i I think of stories like that every time that i start feeling despair about the fate of the planet and i'm Mm. like does my despair take into account that level of causality right Right, right, right. There's something, something at work beyond what we're seeing. We, we've, we've gotten glimpses here and there, and uh, it is, uh, it definitely is reason for uh, optimism from, from where I sit and, and view the world. You mentioned earlier your. Thank you for sharing that story. That was a good one. Um, well, let me just so, finish, let me just like one little addendum to it. Is, oh, is, please, please, please. You know, please. when I mean after like that phone call happened, then that, then I started to think, huh, hold on here. Like I was right. Like, gosh, she's pretty emotionally manipulative, and like this whole fairy tale about soulmates and stuff. Like, why am I taking that on? And and so it, right? You know, it wasn't like all of a sudden I could make excuses for myself. It just clued me in that there was another story here. Yes, yes, yes. That's powerful, powerful stuff right there. So you mentioned that you have a course or courses, and I noticed, and I really love this because this is something that I I, I do as well. Um, you know, when I started this podcast years ago, I had a, a 
a couple product shirts and and uh, a, a bracelet and things like that. And I actually did the similar thing where it's like, hey, I just I want this to be like this bracelet to be a reminder just to you know keep a positive head, kind of a fun thing. It's made from recycled materials. Name your price, right? And I noticed that you do a similar thing with your courses, um, right. like. And I thought that that's you're really walking the talk <laughs> with your ideas on economics and and so you know as far as your statement you, you don't know if the course that you referenced will still be uh, available this will come out in about a week and a half uh, a week from Wednesday so um, I don't know if no, there's any other be, courses uh, or anything that, it, that you want to talk about um, it's not that it won't still be available it's that I haven't finished making it yet oh oh, oh gotcha yeah. gotcha gotcha I see um, yeah and but yes they are all I offer them all, everything I do, I, I offer as, as gift, which means no paywall. Um, and, you know, if people want to support me, my work, um, et cetera, et cetera, then they, for the course, for example, they, they choose the price that feels right and clear and honest um, and a good expression of their feeling of, gratitude and value like they they choose it could be zero yep probably yep. at least half the people choose zero uh so don't be ashamed if that's what you choose but but that's that's the way it feels good to me to do it i love that i definitely resonate with that so are so you have obviously a, a course that's forthcoming um what is the best way for people to connect that want to follow your work that want to you know uh, see see and know about the this course and forthcoming and, and others that you may have in the future well um probably just go to my website mm-hmm. which is charles eisenstein dot something net or org or something yeah i <laughs> dot something i love it that you don't yeah. know exactly what it is that's that 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 is somehow perfect well, well, um we're, i'll we're look it up re- reworking we're revamping the website so i think it was it was dot net and i think we might make it dot org now i don't know anyway okay. they'll gotcha. all go to the same place one of them yeah yep yep, yep. Perfect. Okay. So that's the best way for people to connect. And you know, next thing that kind of bubbles up for me is what's next for you? You know, you've, you have a, a great library of, of books. Is there something else that's brewing or any other projects that you're excited about that you'd care to just give us a glimpse into? Um, well, I mean, aside from putting out more, um, you know, audio and video, just by, for example, doing things like this, um, mm-hmm. And I've got some people working with me to, to, cause I've got like all this material that's languishing in various corners of the internet. And so we're making more, you know, other things out of it. Um, mm. and also, I'm kind of maybe writing a children's book. Ooh. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Oh, very I mean, interesting. Do you, have, you, know, you care have, to share have, what the content will be? Well, I have four sons and, um, the youngest is five, I, you know, you I know. met your son, by the way, at, that, I just want to throw that out there because uh, I'm glad that you, you mentioned him because uh, your son is the same age as my son that was uh, at um, at the Superhero Academy. And, you know, I don't know if you remember that first night we got paired up with someone where we did like an eye gazing moment uh-huh. and I was paired and I was paired with your son and wow. I hadn't even met him before that moment and it was just a it was such a powerful experience like I you know you just really get to see into the beauty of someone's soul when you 
when you have that sort of experience and share that experience together. And it was it was great because I really didn't bump up against him the rest of the time. We didn't speak after that. You know, it was like that was part of an exercise we were doing collectively. And then literally an hour before uh, I I was going to jump on the plane to leave, I I connected with him and had a had you know 15 20 minutes with him so i, I just wanted to throw that out there because he is cool. he is beautiful and it was such a wonderful uh part of my experience yeah yeah he's a beautiful soul um definitely so but anyway so f- you know through parenting for children i've become very very unhappy with the state of children's literature uh, especially for three to seven year olds, you know, picture books and stuff with all the mm. stupid anthropomorphized animals who are basically just humans with animal heads. Um, and the heavy moralizing or just like the plain silliness or the dumbed down language, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and you, yeah, so I'm, um, I'm like, okay, you know, let's do this right. And, mm. and so that's what I've, been yeah i've been telling stories bedtime stories to my youngest son and some of them like oh yeah that one's a keeper and so i'm i'm uh, putting some of those together cool Uh, what a great what a great and unique uh new trajectory for you so uh i i definitely like that idea you know one of one of my I, I often say my one of my favorite books period is a children's book called the little soul in the sun have you ever heard of it by Neil Neil Donald Walsh I highly recommend it Uh, you know it's 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 um definitely on the advanced side for children to to read and um you know, it just sort of Neil Donald Walsh, who who did the books, you, you may be familiar yeah. with Conversations with God. And um, I just love his, you know, the story that basically says, hey, here's who we are. Here's here's, you know, here's what we are in a in the form of the story, you know, um, and it's um, it's really, really a powerful one. I, I recommend it to adults, kids, anyone uh, definitely might might be one you might be interested in checking out as you sort of go down that 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 path. All right. Thanks for the suggestion. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, Charles, this has been everything I'd hoped it would be. You are truly an inspiration. Uh, I do have one final question I'd like to leave you with. Okay. Uh, it's, my, it's my same outro question that I, my predictable question is this. Um, in 60 seconds or less, what is the meaning of life according to Charles Eisenstein? I don't know what the meaning of life is. Uh, I <laughs> just don't know. Um, I guess I'm here to find that out. And mm. if I did know, I wouldn't tell you. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's a great answer. Oh, good answer. Uh, it definitely makes all the sense in the world. I love it. Thank you, Charles, for, for being. You are, like I said, such an inspiration. And uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. And we'll have to perhaps circle back around uh at some point and, and dig deeper into some of the other fascinating topics like sacred economics or any other things that uh, are sort of uh, bubbling up at the time. So yeah, thank you for, for taking this journey with me. Yeah. Thank you, Brandon. It was really fun. Likewise until next time journey. Well, my friend. Thanks. Well, everyone, that concludes this week's interview episode. If you have enjoyed this positive download from our hearts and minds to yours, please take a minute, give us a rating or review on iTunes. Since iTunes is the holy grail of all things podcasting, uh, your good reviews help us to reach more listeners. 
Also, we would be extremely appreciative if you would tell your friends and family about the show. Our sincere intent with the Positive Head podcast is to spread positivity to the world because, well, because we're selfish, quite honestly. Uh, I say that jokingly, but really only halfway joking. I'm referring to the good kind of selfish based on the knowing that we all get what we give in this life because when we give, we're actually always giving to extensions of self since we're all really one in the same consciousness, just in different bodies. So if you want to be a good selfish along with us by helping to spread the positivity, by all means, please proceed to shout about the Positive Head podcast from your rooftop. <laughs> Otherwise, As you continue on your fabulous journey in this 3D reality, be sure to remember this. As long as you ain't dead, you're already positive ahead. Journey well, everyone, and thank you for being.